Welcome back to the Effective Ministry Podcast, where we at YouthWorks want to help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your local church. My name is Tim Bealhartz. I'm a children's ministry advisor at YouthWorks for the Wollongong and Shoalhaven regions, specifically just south of Sydney. I'm joined today by Anne-Marie Rivers, the children's ministry advisor for Sydney's western and southwestern suburbs. How are you doing this morning, Anne-Marie? I'm great, thanks, Tim. Excellent. Uh, Emery, last time we chatted on the podcast was back in episode one. We were talking about helping children to pray. And so listeners can go back and hear that conversation on how to help children pray. Um, But today we wanted to chat about some of your latest reading and thinking and the training that you've been working on. Uh, We've got a really diverse team in at YouthWorks in our ministry support team lots of different interests and skills which Mm -hmm. is just wonderful Uh, we might get others on the podcast in the future to share their other particular interests but your interest in the last couple of years has particularly been around uh, the the psychology and particularly the neuroscience that impacts children and specifically as always for us at YouthWorks we're thinking about how do these insights help children and youth ministers disciple young people into deeper faith And so how does psychology, neuroscience, how does that help uh, children have a deeper knowledge, love and obedience to King Jesus? So before we get into specifics about that, uh, what got you started thinking about this topic and how it relates to children's ministry? Well, firstly, we started reading, um, we actually read a book as a team, you might remember, Tim, um, the Willingham book called Why Don't Students Like School, which was published in 2010. And this is a book written by um, a neuroscientist, but he's applying all the new research um, to teaching and effective teaching. And that book um, was just fantastic. Like it's written in a question and answer style. Um, and he's just picked nine different areas that um, look at what the new research shows about what effective teaching looks like. And so, you know, as leaders in the church, um, we really want, and as trainers ourselves, we also want to be thinking about how we can teach in a way that helps people learn. Um, so that's how it got started, at least. Yeah, that's that's um, that's good. And I do remember that book. It's we rec- come back to that one regularly, and mm. um, have done another couple since then. Most recently, we've been reading the Learning Cycle by Elmer and Elmer together. I think you've got some some thoughts on that as we we go through this conversation. Um, but sort of these things, Willingham particularly, is tapping into this explosion in neuroscience research over the last 10, 20 years with an explosion in, I suppose, the the technical and mechanical side of being able to do MRIs and lots of other acronyms that I'm not qualified to uh, <laughs> name. But there's been a huge amount of research in this area and, and big jumps in understanding and how the brain works and how... The, the physicality of our brain interacts with our psychology and emotions and all of those things. Brain plasticity is a name, uh, a phrase that some people might have come across. Um, now, I mean, I'm kind of a curious person. I've got a bit of an armchair interest in almost everything. So I'm sure I've read some books, articles, listened to some podcasts on these topics. But uh, you've been digging in much more than that. How, how do these... Uh, moves forward these understandings how do they help us in children's ministry particularly why should children's ministers and leaders be interested in what you know neuroscientists are doing 
yeah, there's there's actually lots of reasons, and I just want to share a couple um, in this conversation. But just taking a step back to what you were saying about what's changed in the last thirty years, I think that's really helpful to to think about to start with. Because just like you, I'm not an expert in this, um, but it is really interesting to see what's happening in this area, and that brain plasticity is actually sort of the biggest thing that's happened in um, brain research in the last 100 years. So particularly in the last 30 years, um, scientists discovering that the brain is plastic, by which they mean changeable. So it's not fixed, it's not, um, doesn't stay the same once we reach adulthood or at any other point, it actually continues to change and change actually very quickly. So it's really fascinating mm. idea that um, one of the reasons that we dream um, at night is actually to protect the part of the brain that um, helps us to see things clearly, helps the part of the brain that processes what we, um, like our visual understanding of the world. Um, because if we didn't, yeah, well. then um, the brain would already start changing and using that part of our brain to do other things, um, which is just fascinating. <laughs> like, like there's yeah, many reasons cool. why dreaming could exist and I'm sure, you know, one day in glory, we'll, we can ask God that and he can tell us all the plans and purposes. But that's just one thought, one area where um, you go, oh, okay, there's there's lots of different applications to this. But yeah, children's ministry, um, heaps and heaps of, of ways that I think this is really relevant and interesting. Um, the first one is it actually backs up what we already know to be true and effective in terms of good leadership and good teaching. Um, so sometimes, you know, we know that we need to do things in a certain way or that there are certain methods that are more effective. Things like stories are more interesting than just talking about dry facts. But we've the neuroscience actually now gives validation for that. Like it shows us why. And in some areas, even down to the, the chemistry of it, there's, um, we have validation for why certain things work and why um, some things are more memorable, memorable than others um, and all that sort of thing. So um, things like the question and answer style is much more interesting to us. Um, we knew that before, but we now know that the research shows that and backs it up. And the other thing is, I actually think that this helps us move closer to God's truth. So, you know, um, we are created, he made us, and, and for forever we've never fully understood that. Um, and so this research helps us bring together um, things that we see to be true in Scripture but don't fully understand. Like it does validate, again, things that, um, that we knew about or accepted or sometimes even thought about differently but gives us a better perspective on that. Like our society tends to separate body and mind. Um, we think about, we say, oh, my body is tired, as if it's separate to our, um, to our mind. But brain research actually reconnects the two. So, um, you know, the brain is part of the body. Um, it's an embodied thing, but it's also how we think and how we feel. And, and bringing those two back together is actually really helpful. And I think closer to um, the way God made us. Um, so I think that's just skimming the surface of why this stuff is really useful. Mm. Yeah, I really like that idea of moving closer to God's truth. Um, you know, at, at YouthWorks, we 
uh, put the primacy and the authority, ultimate authority in God's revealed scriptures, and that's mm. where we find ultimate truth. But we also have a really high value of common grace and the ability to observe the natural world um, and to learn from those who may not even be Christians themselves, but are studying the environment, studying the world, studying humans, studying minds, uh, and be able to see, okay, what does this tell us about God's word? And when we see that the Bible affirms something and that the sciences or social sciences confirm what was already there, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, of course it does. Yeah, this is mm. this is God's world um, in conversation with God's word. Um, and, yeah, it's really, it gives us a really richness to all of those things. Um, so let's take a look at some of these particular um, ways in which we've grown our knowledge of uh, neuroscience we'll kind of keep asking the question all right well so what for children's ministry along the way um, one of the first things here is about attention uh, so what does neuroscience tell us about our attention spans so this is one of those areas where um, as children's ministry leaders um, and as youth leaders actually almost and any parent as well we know that kids have um, shorter attention span than adults. So we, we've known that. We always work around that. We um, work very hard at making things interesting and engaging. Um, but the, the science actually backs that up. So that's really encouraging. The interesting thing is thinking about, um, you know, with kids, it's quite obvious when you lose their attention span. Like they start fidgeting, <laughs> they get up, they move away, they, they call out, they, you know, interact in different ways whereas with adults that usually doesn't happen adults can be polite and sit still but the research actually shows um, that even adults can't concentrate on one thing for usually longer than 15 to 17 minutes like that's the most that you can expect um, and even then it has to be under several conditions to make it um, memorable um, so here again like we see some of this is almost so obvious it doesn't need to be said but stating it's helpful because it then um, helps us to think about how we do things and if we're doing things well um, so it's shown uh, this is particularly out of the Willingham book again uh, that there's sort of three things that you need to be looking for when you're thinking about um, keeping kids attention but also making it something that is memorable something they can actually learn and retain and remember um, and those three things are firstly it needs to make sense so not nonsense um, mm -hmm. secondly it needs to be relevant or meaningful to them and thirdly it needs to link and and link i'm using that in a really general sense so linking with what we already know linking with our our whole sense of the world um, there's sorts of lots of different ways in which it needs to link um, but one example would be, um, like if I told you some just some random numbers, 22, 6, 4, 3, and 23, you'd be like, yeah, okay, great. And it wouldn't be particularly <laughs> meaningful or really make sense at all. But if I told you it was $22 an hour, six hours on Saturday the 4th of March, then suddenly you might start paying attention because you would like to get $22 an hour for six hours on Saturday because um, the idea of being paid fits in with what we know of the world and the way the world works. There, it might be more context, which links it to other things that make sense, like it might be a text message from our boss. Um, so those numbers then stop becoming, they now make sense, they become relevant, and they link with other things that we know. 
And this is actually a really relevant, um, really helpful diagnostic. So, you know, as we're thinking about how we're teaching kids, um, we can ask those questions. Like, does this, does what I'm teaching make sense? Like, are the words too hard? Like, um, are, are there other reasons why this wouldn't make sense for them? Is it relevant? Like, am I showing, you know, how it fits in, why it's meaningful in their life? And the interesting thing about that is that it's, it, things can be relevant in different ways. So usually as kids ministers, we're very careful about, we don't want them to think the Bible is like a fairy story, but fairy stories can be relevant. Um, they're relevant because they give us types of people. Um, so heroes and villains, we understand what they are like from mm. fairy stories. They um, Stories like that give us examples of appropriate or inappropriate behavior. Like those stories are still relevant. Um, but I guess what we're doing is thinking about we want to model to them how to read the Bible to see it as true and relevant in a different way. So um, one of the things that I really... Yeah, I like um, that idea of the... I was just going to say, I, I like the idea of the, the story because living in the story, we we, I mean, we find that helpful. Um, and that mm -hmm. was something you mentioned earlier was that you know, neuroscience has helped us understand why stories are so powerful. And those stories can be either fiction or non-fiction. So we can be inspired to live particular ways. We can help shape our, our values and our morals and our behavior mm. by listening to, to great stories. And um, yeah, there's, there's great fiction that we can live in light of, that we can, um, you know, I, I would like to be like uh, Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. He's, yeah. he's upstanding, he's got great morals, he's got great values, and he inspires me when I read that book to be more like that. Um, and also, you know, there are examples in the Bible, uh, you know, Jesus is a great storyteller and he tells fictional parables often, yeah. um, in order to model to us what that's like. But as you said, it's also, there are also historical parts of the Bible, um, that we also want to communicate to children, particularly as they get older, that there are these differences. There are the historical parts and there are the, you know, the parables and the other bits that are in there for different reasons. And um, as kids grow, they'll sort of grow in their differentiation of those things. Um, yeah, that's right. And I think too, yeah, so like it's also connecting connecting that timeline of the Bible to us. So, you know, we we think a lot about its creation to new creation and we want, we see it's all connected and it's all part of one big story, but it's actually our story too. So we fit in that timeline. Like we're hopefully right near the end, mm. just before he comes back. <laughs> um, but it's our story. <laughs> or so maybe not. Yeah. Well, let's hope. <laughs> I'm hoping. Um, <laughs> but it's you know that's it's not disconnected. Like that, there is a helpfulness, and you know, in Corinthians somewhere it talks about you know these things were written down for our example. Like that's valid. But also in lots of other ways, these stories are relevant, and so helping us. Um, draw that out for kids um, and be really careful about the way that we do that so we do it appropriately that not only is faithful teaching but it makes it memorable for kids it makes it helps them to pay attention um, even though that attention span is short um, and mm. it helps us to make it effective learning that they can remember and that fits in with the other things that they're learning yep and that, that idea of relevance and meaningfulness, the, you know, the application part of our teaching time, our, our discipleship time is really key there that we've, mm. um, we've actually communicated the so what. Um, one of the questions I like to think for myself and when I do training and teaching is, 
I've, I've got in my mind. Okay, yep, cool, Tim. I'm a seven-year-old in Kirawee. Uh, so what about a little boy that fought a giant or mm. about Jesus who calmed the storm? You know, what does it matter to me in 2023 uh, as an eight-year-old in Kirawee? So what? And we need to be able to answer that so what question. Um, we need to so that it, it's not just a great story, um, a great narrative, um, but you know, it, it matters for you as an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a six-year-old. Um, and here is how. Let me explore with you what that actually looks like to um, live in this story for yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I think one of my favorite questions in that same vein is from Jack Klump and how, you know, the Show Them Jesus book that we love so much. Um, mm. You know, his question is, how does believing this change how we live? And sort of pulling yeah. that apart a little bit further, um, like I'm thinking about using it with my kids' church in terms of how does believing this change me but change my thinking and change my behaviour and change my speech and change how I feel um, because, mm. yeah, those those aspects can help us go, this is relevant um, but it's relevant in lots of different ways. Like sometimes the right response is just, wow, isn't God wonderful? Like to, to respond just with joy and thanksgiving and praise that's a right and good response and sometimes we miss that because we want to rush so much to the actual actions or words or what we should and shouldn't do but there is a great helpfulness in going yeah god is great and and we can celebrate that and be joyful in that and that's part of good application part of relevance Mm. and i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong here but my understanding of uh, some of the neuroscience research is as we imagine ourselves in particular situations or we imagine ourselves living particular ways and, and exhibiting particular values that that actually helps form our ability to do those as well so if we imagine ourselves to um you know have courageous conversations or to be kind and self-controlled to be compassionate to our siblings who are frustrating us and as we talk about that and imagine ourselves in that scenario try to inhabit that even if it's mentally inhabiting that in the space of children's ministry that actually helps to reinforce for ourselves how we then live outside of that um does that ring true with Mm. what you've read recently Yes, I think that's actually been backed up also in the sporting world. Like a lot of um, coaches are using that kind of uh, visualization. Like if they can help the athlete to visualize, you know, getting that basket or doing that jump, uh, yeah, right. that it, it is actually more likely that they will succeed. And I think in kids' ministry, yes, like helping kids um, not only imagine, but also um, like daydream and, and have those ideals and think about them. Um, you know, like it does say, think about these things, think about whatever is good and pleasing and all of that. Um, but mm. I think that the other side of that is also prayer. So encouraging them not just to visualize it, but to pray for it and to ask God to let that become more more and more true in their life. Because I think sometimes we, we also mm. focus on um, really getting kids to try hard. And of course, we do want to try hard. Um, but also recognizing that it's God's work in our heart that enables us to change. So, like, it's just as simple as asking. Like, let's let's imagine what it would be like if we um, were kinder. And now let's ask God to help us to be kind and to remember that. Um, yeah, because we mm. need Him. 
Yeah. And and if if the children are you know, members of his kingdom and they've got the spirit living inside of him, then he is growing the fruit mm. that makes them more like Jesus. So, yeah. Uh, now, this idea of um, attention also takes us on to sort of the next bit, which is uh, about focus. Uh, and this was something that I kind of vaguely remember from William, but I remember being powerful, is the idea of we we remember what we focus on. Mm. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that and, and the relevance there to ministry. Yeah, so again, it's one of those things that it feels really obvious in one sense, but if we dig into the detail a little bit, we can say, oh, yeah, there's actually some really helpful clarity in that. Um, so an example helps. Like if we think about, I think, uh, Willingham uses this in the book as well. Um, in a science class, you might see a teacher up the front doing a, a really cool experiment that's flashy and impressive and memorable for the kids, um, but they don't understand it. So the teacher is showing them this science trick, and then afterwards that he will teach them why it did this. Um, but what actually happens in scenarios like that often is that because it doesn't make sense, because it's not relevant yet, because it doesn't connect with anything that they already know, the thing that stands out, the thing that they remember is just the, you know, the flashbang. It's not the truth, the scientific truth behind that, that the teacher is trying to teach. And we see this in kids ministry actually a lot um, in that sometimes we want to be so interesting and clever in our presentations that we are focusing on the wrong thing, the wrong part of the story. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So what does this mean? I think it means that we need to be really careful where we're pointing kids to look. Um, there's actually an example that we use in some of the SRE training, um, where we think about if you were in the playground, um, with a friend and you happen to see a little girl on a swing, um, what would you remember about that scene the next day? Well, you'd remember what you focused on. So you might focus on, oh, she had the same dress as my cousin. Like, and so you would remember the dress. Um, but mm. I might be paying attention to what she was, like her emotional state and, and that she was actually crying. Um, and so I would remember that aspect. But, and so we would have remembered the same incident, but we focused on different things. And so mm. that again, impacts what we remember. So we really need to be thinking. I remember. Um, yeah, go. I remember uh, my daughter did was doing a bit of work at school last year on the UN uh, Declaration of Child Rights, um, and she was telling me all about the what they were doing in class, and they had to take some of the um, child rights mm. and make a poster, and they had to do different columns, and they decorated this column with stars and this one with stripes and this one was colored this and she was telling you all about the wonderful poster that she had made and i said yeah okay so what were the rights that you looked at and she looked at me blankly and said no, i got no idea <laughs> um yeah because <laughs> she hadn't written the content was not what she was focused on she was focused on making sure that each of the columns on her big poster was creative and colorful and bright and and what actually the content that went in there so that was kind of one of those examples of where it it I'm sure the teacher thought, oh, here's a creative way of getting the children to engage with this particular learning. And my daughter, uh, I don't know the rest of the class, but she focused on the wrong aspect 
of the learning. Um, and yeah. I've, I've seen this also in children's ministry. Um, there is uh, a number of people I know, including our great colleague, Adam, who do magic and can often use magic as a way into a story or into an idea. Um, and I think Adam has done this really carefully and creatively and mm-hmm. thought a lot about this over time. Um, but I've seen others who the the magic trick at the start is so outstanding um, that that again is as you walk out of the room, that's the only thing the children remember. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the connection that was made or the point of the Bible, or the passage, but it was, oh, wasn't it cool that this person did this magic trick? So again, helping students to focus on the right things um, as we do that. So let's um, let's play this out in a scenario. One of the, the comments uh, you've made um, was about helping children discover the truth rather than just telling them because uh, this helps them to, to focus on their learning. They're, they're extracting information and learning for themselves. What does this look like? So, you know, imagine I've got a, a room of, you know, eight to 12-year-olds and I want them to help discover the the meaning and the importance and the application of a passage for themselves as well as me helping them guide them along that what am i doing in that space how do i do that well yeah so the research does show that um it is helpful um to let kids discover the discover so it's helpful to let kids discover for themselves um what you want them to learn that they will learn more effectively um one of the interesting findings is is that our brains are lazy um so we don't like we put things into habits and routines and memories because that makes it easier for us to do everything each day so there's lots of things that every day we're doing things like brushing our teeth and putting our shoes on and getting dressed but these are all habits they're all little parts in in our brain that are procedural memory um so we don't actually have to think too hard about them and it doesn't cost us too much. But our brains do like solving problems. So if we pitch a problem right um, in that it's not too hard and it's not too easy, then we really love that and it's more likely to be memorable. So as you were saying, those kids are more likely to remember a truth that they've discovered in the word by themselves rather than if we just tell them that this is the answer. Um, and I think this is really hard and it's more of an art than a science for us. Um, and part of it is knowing, knowing why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so that's one of the things I really appreciate about Adam's magic tricks actually is he knows why he's doing them. Like sometimes it's just to build goodwill and trust in the audience. Sometimes it's to get their attention and then he redirects that attention somewhere else. Um, one of the methods I really like using with kids, and it takes a while to get them used to it, but is the Swedish method where they're looking at the passage for themselves and coming up with their own questions and thoughts and reflections. Um, and I'm doing that because I want them to interact directly with God's word, not just with me as the mediator mm. standing in between, um, but also because I want them to solve the problems for themselves. If they can do that, if they can ask a question and find the answer in the passage, then that is much more powerful and memorable. And it's also just acknowledging that, you know, it's God's words that, that is powerful. Like it's not me, it's not my wise and persuasive words, it's actually God's word. Um, and of course I'm praying like crazy and trying to guide them and, <laughs> and scaffold them and, and help them see the answer. And sometimes I might need to point it out or sometimes another kid will point it out and that's okay because we're all in this together. But it's that 
part of a long-term process where I want to train them how to think about the Bible, how to interact with the Bible well, and how they are capable, even though it might be hard, um, of actually finding the answers. Yeah, there's um, we're putting a certain, I suppose, a risk in there in that, mm. uh, you know, if, if I've prepared well, I know that I've got the right answer and I feel really safe when it's just me being able yep. to communicate that answer. Um, and also our, our particular, you know, our Western education tradition, um, our our priority in, you know, reformed evangelical churches of the preached word, like all of that is very didactic. Um, but there is, uh, and we don't lose that, there, there is mm. helpful and there is a right responsibility of teachers and mm. preachers and those who are trained in ministry to helpfully communicate the word and, and the New Testament particularly is, is full of that as well as the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, but this idea of being able to allow children to open the Bible, to ex- explore, to find answers within the boundaries you know, of the, the children's ministry room yeah, and let them explore is... Um, there is a bit of a risk there, that, but there's also a great opportunity for them to learn and discover mm. and to find those answers, which is really helpful. Uh, all right, let's move on to the, the next topic. The next topic was about uh, emotions. And one of the key things that neuroscience is, again, showing us with brain imaging and all those things is that you know, emotions and learning are connected, which I mean, kind of makes sense if I'm upset or angry or confused I'm, it's going to be very hard for me to learn stuff in when i'm in that emotional state um but yeah tell us more about how these things are connected yeah so this is a particular area of neuroscience that's very there's there's not much there yet there's more coming out and kind of what you do with the findings is um is part of the hard part um but yeah there's what, what we're seeing is that emotions matter and emotions are actually integrally part of the learning process. Um, so the way that one scientist explains it as uh, cognition and emotion are dance partners. I think that's a really helpful image because mm. you can kind of see like dance partners move together and when they do move together well, um, the dance works. Uh, so, you know, as you're thinking about things and all the processes of thinking and understanding, that actually works best when emotion is appropriately alongside. So it doesn't always mean that the emotion is positive. Um, Sometimes the right response to the content is disgust or anger, but that in itself can make it more memorable and make learning more effective. Um, So, you know, things that we already know are true, like the relationship with the teacher or the leader really matters um, and how we feel about what we're learning matters. And we're much more likely to learn well in a place where we feel safe and accepted um, and we're not threatened Mm. in any sense or feeling pressured. Uh, So, yeah, emotion is important and valuable um, in in a whole range of ways in helping us um, lead kids well and disciple kids well, not just to to so they retain information and appropriate content, but so that they actually... um, yeah, can can feel safe and be um, growing up well with um, in community with us. Yeah, that idea, the relational idea here is um, has been really key in this um, science. But also, that's something that I can work on as a children's leader. I can mm. be thinking about how do I create um, warm and accepting uh, environments in which the children 
will learn well. Uh, and I was doing some training last weekend and one of the participants, their comment was we were talking about some of these things was, you know, if it's very hard for a student or a child in your ministry to learn if they don't like you. Mm. Uh, and not that that's, you know, we're not want them to like me just because I mm. want a little bit of self-affirmation, but if it's actually going to help further their knowledge, obedience, understanding, love of King Jesus, then, you know, it's worth me putting effort into the relational building um, of that time. Mm. What Let's really practically, what are some of the things that leaders, uh, SRE teachers, children's ministers can do to help build really positive relationships with their the people they lead? I think it's actually, this is the bit that's not that hard. Like it's it's those simple things that we all know and value ourselves. Um, so when, when people listen to us um, and make time for us and respect what we're saying and believe us, um, like sometimes with kids we can think we know better um, again, with the best intentions, but we don't listen to them or we don't um, we don't accept that what they're saying might be true, even though there might be other reasons going on. So, you know, they might be hungry and tired and we can see that they're hungry and tired, um, but saying to them, you're hungry and tired and that's why you're feeling rotten, is not really going to help at the time. <laughs> letting them cry or letting them, you know, just tell you why they're frustrated is often more helpful um, than, than being able to put a label on um, and, and give them that judgment straight away that, well, you're just tired, so therefore you're acting like this. Um, so I think sometimes it's just the really simple things of, of making that time to build relationship and taking them seriously, um, being gentle and generous with our time and with ourselves and willing to sometimes play with Lego or uh, Play-Doh when, you know, that's really not what we want to be doing but um, taking that time can help build that safe relationship where you're an adult, you're a safe person who will respect them as people, um, which does fit with what we believe, you know, that children are valuable and precious. Um, they're a gift from God, um, but they're also vulnerable. And so we, we do have a responsibility um, as older people in the family of God to care for them and to treat them appropriately. Um, and interestingly, this fits with um, some of the other findings. Um, so there's this theory called attachment theory, which people may have heard of, which was back in, you know, uh, a long time ago, 70, 80 years ago now, by John Bowlby and mm. Mary Ainsworth, where they actually um, looked into how infants attach to care, um, key caregivers and build that um, that strong relational bond and how that actually has an impact on the rest of their life. It sets up patterns and processes that um, impact people for a long time. And neuroscience is actually validating that now in that you can see um, what's happening in the brain and how those things actually do have an impact in the way that we think um, and the things that we look for in relationship. But that fascinating thing is that the plasticity aspect the bit we now know that the brain can change means that even if there's damage done in those early years like there wasn't a caregiver who was safe or appropriate it's possible to to heal and change um, because the brain is capable of change and again like it just backs up what we're saying relationship matters being a good example being mm. a godly role model within our church families 
is really important. Um, you know, in scripture, we know that it's the scripture teacher it might be the only Christian those kids know. And so the way that person lives and speaks, their, their manner, their style, their gentleness, their kindness, that will be the only example of a Christian that those kids might see. But it, it is um, powerful and you can have a great impact. And so it's worth um, being really careful um, and prayerful um, and realising what a great impact you can have as a children's ministry leader. Yeah, it's interesting how all of these keep relating back to each other. The neuroscience mm. now is affirming what, I guess, sociologically was kind of already noted, that these relationships seem to produce this type of outcome. Um, and then, again, as we, we look at, you know, is this evidence in the Bible anywhere? Where, where might we see this? And I uh, think about 1 Thessalonians 2 where Paul talks about, I shared not just the gospel, of mm. course I shared the gospel, but that, but our lives as well. And so there was there was relational engagement and you had that little throwaway line just there before um, that it might not be what we want to do. Um, but of course, having now understood it, it's exactly what I want to be doing in my mm. SRE classroom, in my children's ministry room. Um, because uh, I guess the, the frustration might be if I come into that space thinking, I've got this content I want to deliver mm. and, and that's my marker of success. Um, whereas if we keep rethinking about, well, no, no, my, my marker of success is this long-term, low-key relational discipleship um, where I actually want them to grow in their knowledge, love and obedience to Jesus. And that's going to happen in a warm and a safe environment with warm and safe relationships. Uh, then, of course, sitting down and playing Lego um, adds towards that it's not enough it's by no means sufficient because they do need bible they, they need mm. to you know learn more about jesus and learn how to express that and obey that but it's not wasted time in order to build some of that relational um capacity um and so i guess sort of getting towards the end now but thinking about that the emotions and the attachment theory comes back to a little you know pet project of mine and we've talked about this before but this idea of warm communities and mm. just the uh the, the vibe um the the marbo the constitution for those who have seen the classic australian movie the castle <laughs> um but this idea that warm communities actually fosters discipleship mm. um fuller youth institute in their their classic research the growing young research one of their six markers of churches that were growing young instead of growing old that, that is that they were doing well particularly with teenagers and young adults they were looking at um but they one of the markers the six markers was warm communities mm. uh, and my question as i read that chapter was okay but describe warm to me how do you put some flesh on that what does that actually look like if i walk into a church how do i know what warmth looks like feels like how would i diagnose it and, and so i've played around uh previously about thinking about some of those things but how would you if you were to i mean you do you go visit a lot of churches as i do in yeah. our role as children's ministry advisors we do a lot of observations um, and helping people think through their spaces what are you looking for if you walk into um, another church and you've been invited to observe their children's ministry what would you be noticing about the the vibe <laughs> the, the warmth the emotional safety of that place what are you noticing mm. Yeah, I think like there's so much in this, isn't there? Like there's so many different um, things to discuss and ideas to throw around. And so 
you know, maybe we can come back to it another episode. But um, I think, like, especially talking about success, um, I think we've got to keep coming back to faithfulness. Um, and when we use the word faithfulness, often we go, oh, yeah, faithful to the Bible, faithful in my teaching. But actually, if we think about that more holistically and go, we need to be faithful to the gospel in every aspect of our lives. So we need to be faithful in our manner towards the children and towards um, youth and adults and everybody, actually. We need to be faithful in, um, yeah, in, in our emotional responses to things. We need, I mean, it's a holistic thing where it's actually about not just faithfulness in our teaching, but faithfulness in our whole lives in the way that we communicate with other leaders, in the way that we welcome newcomers. And, you know, that's really hard. Like, I fully appreciate that. Like, all of us fail in that. Like, we don't always say hello to the new person. We don't always get everything right. Um, but modelling that repentance and forgiveness is actually really helpful in itself as well because, again, that's what it looks like to live in Christian community, that we can confess our sins to each other and ask for forgiveness and receive it because we all know the forgiveness of Christ. Like that um, that really sets the tone for the way that we relate to each other. So um, yeah, I think it I think it looks like that kind of holistic faithfulness that comes out in all the incidental things. It comes out in the vibe. Um, and so the gospel message matches everything else in the room, everything else that is done, everything else in all the different areas of life. Um, even when we get it wrong through that process of forgiveness and, um, and openness and um, being willing to be kind and generous to each other just as Christ is being generous to us. Mm. Yeah, no, the, 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 the message that we're communicating in our teaching and the, the life and the leadership, the values, the vibe that we're creating, mm. having a, a clear match between those things. And as you said, we won't do it perfectly, um, but even being able to come to the children in our group and say, hey, I did this imperfectly. Uh, I, was, mm. I was wrong. I sinned. Um, and to ask for forgiveness uh, in, in the group, whether it is a whole group or a particular child that you unhelpfully singled out and you shouldn't have and you realize that, you go on all of that. It also adds to the vibe because we're, we're showing humility and generosity and yeah. all of those things and allowing them to minister to us in that space as well. Well, this has been uh, a really excellent conversation. Thanks, Emory. As you said, there's a few topics here we might put a pin in and uh, come back to at other times. Um, if you want to hear more from Emory, you can find her at youthworks.net under the ministry support tab. Uh, as always, our vision is to have an effective youth and children's ministry in every church. So wherever you're at church, uh, wherever in the world, whatever denomination you're in, YouthWorks would love to partner with you. And you can talk to us. You can reach me at Effective Ministry Podcast at youthworks.net. Uh, I'll put that address in the show notes as well as a couple of books that we've referenced during this episode. Uh, you can find us at YouthWorks on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, and we've had a great time chatting with you. We hope to see you next episode. Thanks. The Effective Ministry Podcast is a production of YouthWorks in Sydney. We want to see effective youth and children's ministry in every church. And one of the ways that you can help us do that is by letting people know about this podcast in all the usual ways, like 
comment, share, and review on your favorite social media and podcasting platform. If you've got comments, thoughts, or questions for this podcast, you can email us at effectiveministrypodcast at youthworks.net and also check out youthworks.net for other ways that YouthWorks can help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church.